Welcome to Sense and Sensibility, the Inflation Guy podcast. I am Michael Ashton. I am the Inflation Guy, and I am your host on today's podcast. We're going to talk today about yesterday's CPI report. I'm recording this on the morning of October 14th. In October 13th, 2021, we had uh, yet another CPI report. I'm not going to usually do these uh, on a monthly basis right after the CPI report, but but yesterday's number was, I think, in some ways a watershed number, and I think it's worth talking about a, a little bit. Core inflation, core CPI, only missed slightly from what the forecast had been. So the forecasts were for a 0.2% increase month on month in core CPI, keeping the year-on-year number around 4%. And in fact, we got 0.24% on core, and year-on-year went to 4.04%. So it's been a long time since we argued very much about rounding, or we worried much about rounding. We've been looking at you know, 0.5s and 0.7s and you know, minus 0.2s and everything for quite a while here. So it's 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 comforting in a way that we're we're now talking about rounding, um, but we were only talking about rounding because of the reopening categories or the COVID categories or the reclosing categories, whatever you want to call them. Uh, airfares plunged again, so they were down 6.4% month on month. Um, certainly, anecdotally. I, I just made reservations to go visit my family over Christmas and noticed that airfares were lower than they had been just a month or two ago. So that sort of makes some sense to me. Lodging away from home um, down 0.56 month on month. Used cars was down a little bit, uh, although that's that's probably not going to be a big source for a drag for, for at least a couple of months. Car and truck rental. Uh, car and truck rental was down 2.9% month on month. So a lot of those categories that had originally been part of the shutdown uh, collapse in, in in prices or relative collapse in prices uh, back last year and then uh, whose recovery this year led a bunch of the early sort of spike in inflation. And, you know, those have settled back again uh, over the last couple of months. So it's important to remember that those categories were a source for the the transitory story. The idea was, look, most of what's going on in inflation is these narrow categories that were directly affected by COVID. So once that all gets washed through, then we don't really need to worry about inflation beyond that. Everything will kind of go back to normal. Of course, things have not gone back to normal, and and uh, and so we're seeing price pressures beyond that. You know what has happened outside of those of those COVID categories, and here's where I think this month's data uh, starts to get sort of interesting. Uh, rental inflation, uh, primary rent, so rent to primary residence. If you own, if you rent an apartment, uh, we're up 0.45 percent month on month. So that's close to 6% year-on-year, right? And owner's equivalent rent was up 0.43% month-on-month. So again, you know, well over 5%, close to 6% uh, year-on-year. Monthly, if you analyze the monthly pace, it's close to 6%. And so 
that was something that we obviously had been talking about for some time. We've been we've we've seen in asking rents, we've seen these huge increases in in asking rents. We've seen huge increases increases in prices over the last year and housing prices, and it hadn't come come through to rents yet. And we've been saying for a long time that what you needed to have happen is you needed the eviction moratorium to to be lifted before you'd really see measured rents start to accelerate. And you're not going to see them up 18% like you do with asking rents. Um, but an increase in mobility and the end of the eviction moratorium are what you needed to see those rents start to move higher. I just did a podcast uh, called Rents and Sensibility recently, and you can go look up that. And we talk about, about how rent inflation works. Um, so that's so that's what we've been saying for months. We had to see the end of the eviction moratorium, and we would eventually see this rise in rents. We are starting to see that, and it's got a lot further to go. Um, I think rent inflation is going to get up to near or over 5% year-on-year. Right now, uh, primary rents are at 2.43% year-on-year, and owner's equivalent rent, 2.9%. So we have a lot more to go there. So we have the rental inflation. And again, that was sort of expected that it was eventually going to happen. It kind of, you have some issues there with that being a, uh, a transitory, uh, you know, the, the transitory story doesn't deal with that very well. There clearly is no supply constraint happening. Um, you know, there's no backup in the ports for apartments. Um, so, you know, that's, that's sort of a you know, problematic, but, you know, clearly we're not going to have home prices rising at 8% year on year forever. And so eventually that will pass, but saying eventually that will pass doesn't really help what the people saying transitory meant by transitory. They didn't mean, you know, three, four, five years. They meant a couple of months. So uh, that clearly is a problem for the transitory story. And and the other thing that, that I'd been looking for in the number, and we are seeing it more and more every month, is, is a broadening of inflation. Clearly, if if inflation is this just these, these recovery categories, then it should this rise in inflation should stay quite narrow. You should see a balanced distribution with some you know, some categories uh, rising quite a bit and some falling quite a bit, kind of offsetting in the middle of the distribution, not doing very much. But instead, what we're seeing is that about 80% of the consumption basket uh, measured by CPI has year-on-year inflation over two and a quarter percent, and two and a quarter percent on CPI is is roughly equivalent to uh, what the Fed's target of two percent on core PCE is. So, eighty percent of the basket being above your target, you know, is means it's not just one or two categories; it's it's a bunch of categories, and so we're seeing that in some of the other measures of inflation. We obviously focus on headline inflation. We focus on core inflation, which just takes out food and energy. But there are other measures of inflation. There's there's median, there's sticky, there's trimmed mean. And and that's where you're, we saw some really disturbing stuff yesterday. So median inflation rose a half a percent month over month, which was the biggest move since 1990. Um, median inflation hasn't risen faster than that on a monthly basis since about 1982. And we're going to start to see more 0.3s and 0.4s out of that series. But, you know, 
that's more significant from median. So you can get a, a one-month change in headline of course CPI if you have one category that goes bananas. A couple of years ago, we had cell phone services that plunged 7% month on month and led to this big decline um, in core inflation for a while. Um, you only need one big category because core inflation is an average. When you're looking at median, you're looking at the whole distribution. Um, trimmed mean CPI, also produced by the Cleveland Fed, um, is, is another way of looking sort of the, just the center part of the distribution and cutting off the tails. And trimmed mean CPI rose 0.49% month on month. So again, another half percent. And the year on year for the med for the 16% uh, trim mean CPI went to 3.55%, the highest level other than a brief spike in, in 2008. Um, since 1990. So, you know, you're seeing this, you know, again, that that 0.5%, that 0.49%, you know, all of those things in median and trim mean, you know, all of those things are saying that the center of the distribution, the main part of this, most prices are moving higher and accelerating higher. And so that's really disturbing. And it's all a signal that this is broadening. We're also having more and more shortages. And and shortages are just unmeasured inflation. You know, another way to ration scarce goods, if you've, if you've got, you know, more demand for, for goods than you have supply, one way to ration the difference is to raise prices, right? And that's Econ 101. If you raise prices, then you, some people don't want it as much and, and you induce more supply and so you clear at that higher price. But the other way, another way to ration, uh, you know, a difference in supply and demand is to increase wait times, um, to ration them in other ways by make by in, inducing other non-measured costs. Uh, quality is one way to do it, um, and and uh, wait times. So shortages are are unmeasured inflation. It does not get into CPI, but it clearly is coming from the same thing. So then the next question is: Are these supply constraints? Are these all supply constraints and, and backups at the ports and, and high shipping costs that lead to rising packaging costs and, and um, you know, a, a, a shortage in used cars because rental fleets declined last year? Are these, are these all shortages and so on, on the supply side and so we don't really have to worry about them? Well, of, of course, there's supply side constraints. But saying that this is all about supply and has nothing whatsoever to do with with demand. It has nothing to do with federal spending uh, of trillions of dollars that the Fed enabled by buying those bonds and um, that it didn't matter. Oh, none of that stuff mattered. And that's nonsense. Um, you should question, if you hear that argument, whether the people making that argument are making it for for reasons of their political affiliation, trying to make it look like, you know, the people in authority right now are just, uh, you know, are, are actually doing a great job just getting really unlucky. That's not at all what happened. The surge in demand after the shutdown was unprecedented, okay? But it wasn't accidental and it didn't happen naturally. Normally what happens coming out of a recession is that supply and demand grow together. Workers who are making the supplies, earn wages, 
that are used to buy the supplies. And so those things grow roughly the same pace. National income is is roughly equal to GDP. And and so, you know, and, and, and some of, of that GDP is government spending and some of the income uh, goes not to buying the supply that the workers make, but to buying bonds that the government sells. And so there's there's sort of this this other uh, you know mechanism that that evens those things out. But if the government spends money and so it increases GDP, but doesn't then tax that money, doesn't doesn't sell bonds, um, then you have this this fundamental imbalance between the demand and supply. It means that incomes far exceed the supply. Now, how did the government spend the money and not sell the bonds? Well, they did sell bonds, but they sold bonds that the Fed immediately bought. And okay, the Fed didn't buy exactly the same bonds. That doesn't matter. That sophistry, it doesn't really matter which bonds the Fed bought. It doesn't matter that they bought bonds instead of actually creating money that the government spends. It does not matter the exact mechanism. These are all exactly the same thing. So the, so the demand imbalance versus supply was, in fact, caused by profligate government spending uh, financed by a casual Federal Reserve. And by the way, this has been this was totally predicted by theory, and we've been talking about this for 18 months, and we're getting exactly what we said we were going to get. Not at all surprising. It's funny that the people, people right now who, you know, were saying that everything was transitory and that inflation was going to go down to two percent by the end of the year, and are now kind of having to back off that, um, are, are sort of attacking the people who said inflation was going to go higher. And they said, you know, and one of the ways they're doing that is they're saying, well, you didn't see that there'd be this big tie-up in the porch. You didn't predict that there'd be a tie-up in the porch. You didn't predict there'd be a shortage of resin. You didn't support predict there'd be a shortage of used cars. Well, of course we didn't predict the exact things that were going to be in shortage. What we said was prices are going to go higher because you ha- you'll have this imbalance of demand and supply that you've induced by government spending financed by the Fed that's that's the formula. It doesn't tell you exactly where those bottlenecks are going to happen. You just know that they're going to happen. So it doesn't mean that you're wrong because you didn't say, you know, I know that uh, the problem is going to be that the Port of Los Angeles is going to you know, have this real big backup and there'll be a lot of container ships sitting off the port. You didn't know exactly why it was going to happen, exactly how it was going to happen. It doesn't change the fact that we knew it was going to happen. So is it transitory? Well, I mean, obviously, it's, it's, it's as transitory as government deficits. It's as transitory as the Fed continuing to permanently expand its balance sheet. If those things stop, uh, maybe even if only one of those things stop, then we will see that, that the rate of change of prices will slow down. Okay. Eventually, inflation itself will slow down. The price level is not going to go back, and that's one of the things that you've sort of seen. And you think about inflation, you know, the Fed's average inflation targeting regime. You know, if you have this run-up in prices, and it and those prices retrace, then the average inflation kind of, kind of you know, meanders back to the mean. 
there's no sign that's going to happen. You've permanently increased reserves unless the Fed, Fed actually decreases its balance sheet aggressively, sells bonds, um, and the government stops spending as much, neither of which I foresee, then you're not going to see inflation back at a half a percent, one percent, one and a half percent, probably not even two percent. You will eventually see the fours and fives in core inflation heading back to threes. Uh, but if you want to know whether this is transitory, you, you should first ask, is the government going to spend another couple of trillion dollars? And is the Fed going to continue to buy the bonds that the government is uh, issuing in order to fund that deficit? So to forecast next month's CPI, you have to focus on exactly which things are in short supply. At the macro level, making the prediction that core inflation is going to stay above 4% for the balance this year and head towards 5% um, is there's nothing super magical about that. Saying that, that uh, under the most likely scenario, core inflation stays uh, above 3.5% to 4.5% for all of next year, there's nothing magical about that. You're simply looking at the the net deficit and how much that net deficit is being financed by uh, by the Fed, and you get the right numbers. You don't know where it's going to happen, but you have roughly the right numbers. And we're, we're seeing that in median inflation and trimmed mean inflation, so you know that there's this broadening happen, happening, and you're seeing rental inflation uh, doing what what we always knew it was going to do once they did away with the eviction moratorium. So again, all of these things we've been talking about, we've been predicting this for a long time, and the beatings will continue until morale improves. It's that simple. And so now we wait. We get another CPI number in uh, in about a month. And in between then and now, we're going to look at wages and and uh, you know, we'll watch all the, the normal things. But I think that We've this was a watershed report. I think the original transitory story that this was going to be really narrowly focused, this inflation um, is is clearly not the story anymore. And um, and so going forward, we're going to continue to have these high prints and we're going to the real question is, does this become a permanent feature of our landscape that inflation isn't between one and a half and two and a half, but it's between three and four? Uh, for the foreseeable future. And we'll just have to wait and see because it has a lot to do with policymaker actions. Well, thanks for tuning in. As I always say, if uh, if you want to get in contact with me, you can go to the website, uh, EnduringInvestments.com and, and uh, fill out the contact form there, or you can get the Inflation Guy app in your uh, in Google Play Store or your Apple iStore and, and send me a note from within the app. Um, i like to hear from you. And, and if you have any comments on this particular episode or ideas for other episodes, then, then please uh, send them to me and I will respond to everything that I get. So you, you'll, you'll get an answer back from me. I am Michael Ashton and I am the Inflation Guy and this is Sense and Sensibility. Defend your money. More and more, you have to defend your money all the time and you got to defend it even more these days. And if inflation is coming for you, remember, you know a guy.